0: This is the Life Journey Podcast with Quentin, a.k.a. Gauz, No Days Off. From on the field and off the field, NFL player and entrepreneur. Motivating you to be the best you can be and getting you out of your comfort zone. Sharing with you travel, sports, and entrepreneurial tips with amazing guests on the show. Now, get ready. For your life to change, with the Life Journey Podcast and your host Quentin Gauz.
1: What's up, everybody, and what's going on? Welcome to the Life Journey Podcast. This is season three. We're in season three of the Life Journey Podcast, and we have um, always have some great listeners on. Um, thank you guys for tuning in for this video. Uh, so, in this video today, we have Bezrat Gabriel Gab- Michael. And she is, uh, she works at Google and uh, you, can, you can kind of talk about yourself, you went to Georgetown and very successful young lady, like uh, through, through ranking up and like a lot of uh, accomplishments. So you yeah, definitely talk about like your childhood growing up and um, yeah, it's great to have you on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so when I was growing up. Um, so we way back. Uh, so I was born in Philly, um, moved all around the United States. Um, I, a lot of people ask if I was part of a military family, but no, that wasn't the case. My parents just wanted to find a better place to educate their children. And so grew up in, or was born in Philly, stayed there for a couple of years. There were a lot of gangs that were coming into the area, so my dad didn't want us to live around all of that as we were growing up, and so he just decided to move all of us over to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, we were there for a couple of years as well, and that's where my brother was born. Um, My sister was born in Philly. Um, But once we were all there, what we started realizing was that the humidity started affecting my brother's um, asthma and so my parents also realized that they had to leave in order to make sure that he could breathe and so uh we moved over to indiana uh indianapolis indiana and once we got there we also stayed there for a couple of years and soon realized that that place was at least the area that we were living in was relatively racist and my parents also realized that they didn't want us to live in that area either and so finally we moved over to las vegas nevada and that's where we've been for 10 plus years or so and that is you know where i spent most of my development as a as a young kid uh, stayed there until i was around uh 17 18 and then i moved over to washington dc for uh, school at georgetown university um, stayed there for 4 years and moved over to the bay area and now kind of moving over to a new place altogether so you know living across all these different places it was it was a great way of just learning how to coexist within different communities. So I know how to talk to basically about anyone. But I think at the same time, it was very difficult as a young kid and just knowing how to develop and strengthen relationships. Considering wow. I knew that these people were in my life for a certain moment, or I kind of developed that habit of learning that they were in a certain, they were here for a certain moment, and then, um, and then. I would be leaving or, or they would be leaving or whatever. So it kind of led to different <laughs> commitment issues, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it also did develop this habit of getting bored of routine, which I still have until this very day. And it's something that I actually take a lot of pride in and in, in wanting to learn and create and continue doing um, new cool things um, and continue to move and, and challenge myself in different ways as well, so. That was that was essentially most of my upbringing.
1: That's pretty cool um, to hear that because you went from different states. You said you went from like Philly, like Philly has some good areas and you and you went to Indianapolis where he is racist and then uh, Las Vegas. And then DC. so you've been around. You had a chance to be around a lot of different people, like you said, and be able to maneuver within talking to different races, talking to different people and know how to like, uh, I guess, like imitate or, you know, be, you know, connect. I guess that was right. the word. So that's pretty right. cool. Like, Cause I'm, yeah, same way, like hood to s- suburbs, being, yeah, you know, can just like, man- however way to connect with people um, naturally. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a pretty, that's an awesome, that's a, that's a skill. I think that's a skill to have. A lot of people don't have that, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think that, you know, within these communities also, one of the things that I take a lot of pride in is that, um, Like there, I mean, there were a lot of people that looked relatively similar to me. If not, we were all kind of within the same socioeconomic class, right? So we're all like relatively like low income. There were, uh, there were a few people that, you know, once I started getting into high school were a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say even like upper middle class, but I'd say maybe around like lower middle class. And, and so it was, it wasn't that hard in connecting with them because we all shared similar struggles for the most part. I didn't realize or really could define what those struggles were as a kid. I mean I can I can now see it and understand it as I connect the dots. But the the thing is, you know, we had that shared identity. And then once I went to Georgetown University, that was a it was a it was a wildly different experience because it was a whole lot of you know white people and then a lot of really wealthy people. And so that was a very that was a very new experience for me, and I, I hadn't lived in you know predominantly white or rich spaces ever growing up. Um, so a lot of I mean, when I got to Georgetown, also it was a lot of insecurities that I hadn't realized I had developed when I was a younger kid, and. Um, and it was multiplied once I got there because I definitely stood out like a sore thumb. So things around, you know, the, like wealth, right? So the wealth gap was incredibly different. Um, it was a lot of people whose parents were, you know, famous designers or, you know, uh, princes of Jordan or, or things like that. And so there, there were a lot of incredibly wealthy people. And I realized for the uh, probably the first time that I came from like a lower income st- uh, status when, you know, there are students who were looking to get into uh, ski trips and they were looking to, you know, get food every single day. And it's just like these small things that I realized I just didn't have the money for. And these students, you know, had the opportunity to have through uh, maybe, you know, their own work or potentially like their own, their own parents and such. So that was a very big thing. The other thing was just around, uh, you know, beauty standards and appearance considering i was a dark-skinned black woman and in this sea of you know predominantly white people and so there was a lot of you know insecurities around you know should i continue straightening my hair should i continue uh wearing like the clothes that i wore growing up like should i start assimilating and like blending into this community and uh there were a lot of challenges that were kind of faced especially my first two years at Georgetown
1: so so you know how they say um specific schools like a, uh, was a po was a pow no don't know yeah.
2: uh pwis yeah, yeah. predominantly yeah. white so students. that's, what, that's yeah. what
1: georgetown was yeah so, yeah
2: 100 yeah it was so funny actually you know wale had this oh game wale. Game. <laughs> wale came to georgetown once and he actually thought that it was an HBCU because all of our uh, football players, our basketball players, like all these athletes were predominantly black, you yeah. know? So he thought that it was an HBCU. And I still remember that to this day, because I just think about the way that we present ourselves yet, you know, we are very much a predominantly white institution. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and yeah. in, in being in those same type of institutions, like you definitely, but you definitely have opportunity to to like rise above and not be, you know, to rise above the status quo for sure. And um, right. talk about some of those yeah. accomplishments that you had over there. And um, and then also, yeah, some of the I think some of the accomplishments from high school going into there and then departing from Georgetown as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, so for from high school, you know, I think. I think I take a lot of pride in the fact that I just worked hard and I learned how to work hard. Mm-hmm. My parents very much gave me a, it, it was almost like an ultimatum, of like you're gonna get straight A's or else. I don't, like, you know, like that could mean, that could mean a, uh, a whooping, it could literally mean anything, but they're like, you're gonna get straight A's, like no matter what. And so that was the bar that they had set. And so I always just made sure that I hit that bar. Mm-hmm. And so, When I got to, uh, or yeah, my senior year of high school, graduated, you know, got valedictorian, got all these really amazing accomplishments, um, was leader, you know, had leadership positions in various organizations uh, from business to pre-med and such, and then went to, uh, went to Georgetown and, you know, because I I think one of the things that I really learned probably within like my second year after going through these different, um, you know, insecurities with my different identities is that there were a lot of people that were probably two years or so above me that just fully embraced and accepted all of their identities. And that was something that I looked up to, just like seeing them walk around campus and being able to just feel so confident and fully in the skin they're in. And so I took a lot of pride and um I took a lot of pride in like my my confidence came from the black women that were two years or so above me, and I I realized you know like if if they were able to do it and they were able to look so cool doing that I just want to be able to be a part of like the winning group and so I just started I just started getting better about accepting who I was and you know realizing that there isn't really anything that I could that I should change and um, started you know focusing more on. Um, how I can also support other people who are also facing similar struggles. Right. And so with socioeconomic status, I started working with a group of students at Georgetown called the Georgetown Scholarship Program. Uh, so they're, they're first gen and low income as well. And so I started working with them a little bit more, sat on their um, their leadership, their their board, their student board. And then I also started helping them with just different you know, initiatives, things that would help with driving community and then also helping them with their social media and like marketing presence as well. And then I, so that was on the class side. And then I also started doing a lot more to also help other black women, uh, the black college women, uh, not just at Georgetown, but across the different areas. And so I essentially started uh, was so my sophomore year with two really good friends. I started an event that would focus on socioeconomic status as well as race. That went really well. Uh, my two friends at the time were seniors and I was a sophomore. And then um, with the great excitement around that, I thought, you know, for the next year, what could I? What else could I do? And does it make sense to really just zoom in on a specific population? And so my junior year, I started working on an idea with two other really amazing black women that would essentially create an event that was specifically for other black college women both at Georgetown and then across other campuses and so that was called the brave summit and what we did there was celebrate and provide opportunities to these really amazing black women um across all different backgrounds so you know we looked at the different intersections, like how can we target Black women um, with different sexualities, with different, um, you know, uh, socioeconomic statuses, with different uh, immigration statuses, like things like that. And so, put on this event, uh, got a lot of really great reception. I ended up raising, how you, like I think the first year was around seventeen thousand or so for the event, um, and then we. Uh, we just put on this really amazing event for like maybe 250 or so black women and then, and allies as well. And then the next year we held a similar event, the same thing. And that was my senior year, rose the population to 450 plus. And then we raised around 20 to 22,000 or so um, in dollars. And we got a lot of really great you know donations from different companies like Google actually, who I was at the time interning, that summer I was interning with. And so, it turned out to be a really great moment for other Black women to just see these like really beautiful, powerful, um, like incredible Black women from all kinds of industries, You know, from uh, medicine to business, to um, therapists, to activists, like just all these really amazing Black women who've succeeded so much within their own respective careers, um, kind of just give a shining light to other Black women to say that this is also possible for them. and. Uh, the way that they have accepted and celebrated their own beauties are a good, you know, inspiring way for other Black women to to do the same. So that was that was those are my two biggest highlights, I would say, probably, in um, at Georgetown. So it started off with you know me not really embracing my identities whatsoever, to really me feeling extremely comfortable in who I was and. You know, at the so I started off. You know, I, I think my my first year at Georgetown with very much straight, like straightened hair. Uh, you know, just didn't really feel comfortable whatsoever in myself. And then I ended Georgetown, you know, with this big curly hair. I, I rarely straighten it these days, and I, you know, you could see me like walking across campus because my hair is just that visible, and with these like little booties. So I just make a like it's a presence at this point, and I see this, you know, just who I am and how I dress and how my hair is as like this form of resistance in a way for you know both Georgetown and now I bring this into Google as well.
1: Mm, That's powerful. From Like you said, you're talking about the insecurities early on and fighting through that and understanding who you are and develop and that's why I love love college because it gives you that space and time to do that, to understand yourself and develop and yeah, you come out the, the other end uh just you know successful on the other end and feeling good about yourself yeah. and going where to attack life and that's amazing that you guys raised that m- amount of money and be able to do that for and it's for a great cause as well and yeah that's what it's all about that's that's awesome and like you're i can see like your your heart you're definitely i can see you you're definitely a person that wants to help people um
2: yeah yeah, I think that's at the core of everything that I want to do, right? Like, my parents growing up always wanted me to become a doctor. Like, there's a saying that's like, you know, African parents, you're either a doctor or a lawyer or you're a failure. And I 100% agree with that. You know, they wanted to, they wanted me to become a doctor. And I think it was only really a way to push myself to this guaranteed sort of success, you know? Like, if I'm going to be a doctor There's a very much defined line in terms of, Um, you know, how I can get up to being a successful person. And for the most part, success here just means a financial success. And so that was, that was what they wanted. And, um, you know, by my sophomore year of Georgetown, I realized at the core of what I wanted to do was really just help people. And so I just started breaking away from pre-med and found other ways that I could help people instead. So that's kind of how I moved over to the business side and with that guaranteed success, though, that was, you know, at the, what I realized um, at the time was a was a, uh, a byproduct of being a doctor. Mm-hmm. I realized that I had to find some sort of way to fill that gap, and so I just made sure that I was doing everything that I possibly could to get the best career within business that I could get, um, you know, the best access to various opportunities, and then I just couldn't fail <laughs> and so that's how it kind of led over to google as well and making sure that you know i got the best tech job and right. and things like that
1: wow you got you got it plan out <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think it's like just seeing where you know it, it wasn't really planned out necessarily it was more just seeing where you know if i was going to take this risk this calculated risk right, right. um just knowing where i can make myself feel better and just filling that gap so for me the risk was just Realizing that I may not be able to make the same kinds of money as a doctor um, when I was younger, and um, and just finding a way to fill that gap with a plan, and that's exactly what I did.
1: That's smart, and I love the word calculator risk. Uh, yeah, that yeah it is a difference between just jumping like someone just quitting their job and becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah. Or slowly, you know, save save up some money. Yeah. Be a bit, you know, start the business while you're working, and then. Right transition over so that's yeah i love that that's awesome exactly yeah what's your favorite hometown restaurant or family meal man um
2: hmm so the first oh gosh okay so now i'm just having all these <laughs> different ideas the uh yeah I was like the first idea that i had but i was thinking no that was too recent it was bay area uh so i i think i go back to just um this one place okay so in terms of a restaurant i go back to a place in dc called barcelona wine bar and it was just this beautiful place where they had tapas um and it was just like all these like really amazing so they had patatas bravas they had um different like really great eggplant dishes and i hate eggplant for the most part but like i would always eat their eggplant dishes and then they had really great wine and it was just a really good vibe. And so whenever I go back to DC, I always go back to that restaurant just because of the really good memories that I've had there. And so, and it, it just, yeah, it was a beautiful setting for beautiful people and beautiful, um, beautiful friends and company. And so, uh, so that was, that was a big thing for DC. When I moved over to the Bay Area uh, started is also another wine bar called Amelie and it was a French wine bar. And they they had different meals, but I would mostly go there for the different wine as well. And that was, um, it's just a place that I would always frequent like frequently go-to at at some point they just they they started to know me and they would give me free wine and free food and all of that stuff because I would just go there so often and I'd bring them good business Mm. (laughs) and then um in terms of really good uh so a home home home-cooked meal I think my favorite is um this dish called uh so it's an it's called njara. And so within njara there's something called bursun, um, which is in tigreña. And then there's another, I think in in Amharik um, it's called wat, And so basically it's like this, um, it's like lentils and you can do it either spiced uh with um like a a spicy like chili pepper or you could do it a little bit more plainly, um, making it almost like a lentil soup kind of kind of similar. Um, thing so I usually eat that and then I um I love eating it with like a jalapeno on the side or something but yeah I
1: love injera bread I love injera and like yeah yeah and then a different like you can mix it up right have your meats like it's all spread out on the platter right
2: yeah you you could have like different types of food you know on it as like as much as you want I like to I like to make like certain foods like mix together my mom like usually eats it you know with she she puts on like anything on that plate but i usually just like to find like the good ones that like mix well together so if i'm gonna have a vegetable um for the most part i want to make sure that all the other foods are vegetables too i'm gonna have a meat that i'm gonna have maybe this like cottage cheese um kind of thing like on the side um so that it you know lessens the spiciness a little bit out but
1: yeah yeah that's that's cool Food. Yeah, I love food. I'm a foodie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's dive into. Uh, okay, you're you're transitioning over to Google now, and you're yeah, you're working you're working at Google. And yep, what was that experience like?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I was an intern at Google first. That was my junior year of college, and then got the opportunity for full time. And when I got into full time. My first year wasn't the role that I wanted to be in, but I just figured I would just, you know, find a way to enter the company and then kind of move forward from there. And so the first year I was focusing more on, it was like, it was almost like answering customer tickets. Uh, So just like whatever issues that they had, um, I would just answer and respond back to, uh, you know, their issues with the different solutions that they could potentially move forward with. And so that was a, it was it was a very, like it was a routine type based role and I didn't like it at all for the most part. But I think one of the things that I learned while being in it was that if I did really, really well, that it would give me the good recognition and like access for another opportunity moving forward. And so that's exactly what I did. I started answering the most amount of tickets globally. I started getting the highest Uh, performance metrics globally as well. And so there are all these things that I just did really well with that core role. And then I would also have these different, what we consider 20% projects, which are ways to, you know, understand new um, fields that you want to enter into. So it's a good way to kind of enter into that. Or you could also use 20% projects as a way to develop a new skill. And so I would take on these 20% projects to also develop skills around analysis and develop skills around, um, you know, like strategy and communication. And so I would take those on, uh, I did really well at those as well. And so within my first year, you know, with all of that, um, I also, you know, that I also wanted to find some sort of way to be creative and on the side. And so what I did was I started creating videos for different diversity, equity, and inclusion type based, um, events and initiatives that were happening. Not within my my organization only, but also within the larger um, the larger organization that sits above us. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, did all of that went really well for my first year. Um, ended up getting promoted in my first year, which is also pretty rare. And so, did all so that, like within that promotion, I was also in the process of transitioning from you know, a 20% project, actually, that was focusing on analysis of events. And I moved over to a full-time role that would focus on US-Canada-based events. Oh. So when I entered into that, um, so yeah, so got the promotion, went into that role. When I entered into that role, there was, a, there, it was a time when people across the globe were, um, who were also in similar positions for their own regions, were leaving because they've hit you know maybe three four years or so and they wanted to do something new and so I stepped into that role and within maybe three four months or so I started um I started taking on more global work and so you saw that I was doing U.S. Canada um based events and strategy and focusing on all that just making our U.S. Canada events significantly um you know just better and uh, with a good quality, better analysis and ways that we can measure our events for the first time, and then started taking on these like global initiatives as well, and so. Uh, at a certain point, just doing those two things together just became increasingly difficult because I was, it was almost like two full-time roles. I was taking on a global role as well as this U.S.-Canada specific role. So it was hard to narrow in on my region and do it really, really well if I was also focusing at a global level. And as people were coming in, you know, like new people were entering those older, old positions, I started also ramping them up. So I was incredibly stretched and I told my manager that, I just needed some sort of way to break up these two roles. And so what she did was she created a brand new role for me in that next year that was specific to global events. And that was the first time that we had a global events lead role. And so she created this role for me and I started having a little friction with different regions because I just didn't know how to best um, work within this role because it it was a brand new role. And I just didn't know like what would be my territory versus theirs and so uh and so that was uh that was a good way of you know like so i talked to my manager about it and she basically said your job is to make events better like point blank and so I don't know what it was in that statement, but after she said that statement, it was a really good way of me just feeling so much more free in terms of what I could do with this role and just structuring it as my own. And I can say, you know, a year now after, after that conversation, it, like I have made events significantly better. I've made the quality better. I've made the, um, I've made our analysis for events and how we can measure impact um, at a revenue level uh significantly better too and and so there's just all these things that i've been able to do with that freedom and um and it yeah since she met like since she said that it just it was like this a click in my head that allowed me to just take the role as i had wished um so that was more so on like the core role side uh there's also other work that i've done on the the black google network and um and things like that too oh
1: that's I mean, so you change the game within the company basically I mean you definitely <laughs> have an impact um there and no wonder like you are where you are at because like you're you, you seem you're a problem solver You're a problem yeah solver.
2: yeah I love I love a good problem I it's almost like I get a little obsessed with it, to be honest. Like, it's like, I get, I get really obsessed with finding the solution and I always have to figure something out. And I think that's also just something that I take with me also just with different risks that I have, like, you know, I may fail, but at the end of the day, something is going to work out and I just have to keep on working towards that. So it's, um, you know, problems are, problems are just exciting. They're just a good way to just challenge yourself and, and continue to grow.
1: Right, that's so true. So like, no, that's, and that's why, again, like I remember watching, was it called The Intern, the movie?
2: Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it, was it like that?
2: Um, but I was an intern? It so like the way like that the they, yeah, it, like it's, I think it's more comedic there. Right? I mean, maybe there are like some like bits and pieces that you can pull from that, like in terms yeah. of the creativity and, um you know some of the ways in which they make you think but for the most part it's not as like scrambling competitive or like things like that
1: <laughs> yeah it made it seem like it was like it was like a super super competition and <laughs> I, I, I like the part where they had to help the pizza shop um like increase <laughs> yeah. yeah increase sales or they had to put themselves on google they didn't want to be on there i don't know it was something it was interesting <laughs> that's pretty much yeah. great that uh you know to see the, the the work that you put in to get to where you are at and um yeah it's, it's, it's amazing so like even like so i was I kind of going back and uh looking at uh it was like one of the clips and stuff from the, the event that we did together mm-hmm. and just seeing the excitement from some of the googlers and stuff like was was pretty cool um mm-hmm. one of the gentlemen on his laptop was like, oh this is so awesome like I'm having a great time." <laughs> oh the violinist is playing it's killing it right yeah Um, Yeah. i guess what was the energy from like everybody i guess after the event and stuff from from the 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 virtual black uh yeah uh, party
2: yeah everyone was super excited about it uh they really loved you know having this positive moment in a sea of you know, bad moments of 2020 from the pandemic to the protests to, Mm. you know, like some of our favorite celebrities and people that were parts of our family in a way. So like Chadwick Boseman, for example, um, John Lewis, like all these like really amazing people who, you know, passed away also within this year. And so with all of that, you know, with all of that grief and all of the emotions you know of this year i think it was just a really great moment of having this one holiday event that would bring some good positive vibes some good energy a good way to just get people you know starting about 2021 and um kind of focusing more on rejuvenation and wellness of our of our black googlers um but yeah oh, that's
1: powerful that's powerful it was it was such a great how many people ended up showing up to the full event
2: yeah, so it's a little hard to fully understand. So we had 360 or so people in one room with DJ Kitty Cash. And then we had um, around around the same amount, like around like, I think it was like around uh, 400 or so for DJ Nigel Boy. And then um, people in the main room, I think was around, it was like 4 480 plus, something like that. So it's hard to understand like which ones are unique viewers or not, but. Right. Um, for the most part, I would for sure say that there's probably more than 500 or so people who uh, tuned in, and then we had around like a thousand or so page visits as well. Um, so overall, I think it was a it was a really good event, and it's just that was just one example also of one of the types of events that we've held over the past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, moving over to digital nature and such, there was also. Other events that we've had somewhat similar, uh, where we had a DJ come in and you know do different DJ battles, similar to Versus, for example, right. um, as one idea, and that was always a really great way of just getting people hyped up. And then we've had um, you know different wellness events and such. So you know just to back up a little bit, I'm a co-lead for the South Bay Black Google Network chapter, mm-hmm. and so I came in at a time when, as a lead at least, came in at a time when. It was, I think, oh, it was it was right after uh, Ahmaud Arbery uh, recently, like when, when he was murdered, that's when I jumped in. And I remember like the first thing that we wanted to do was send out a note to everyone about, you know, like what they may be feeling, what just kind of validating the fact that this is the time for them to... Um, to feel all their feelings, to take off from work if they need to, to, um, to really experience the grief and, um, just like feel that the world that they were living in Mm -hmm. is something that is shared by other black Googlers and, um, and just validating them as well. Uh, you know, oftentimes when we get into work, it's always like, it always like feels like, you know, some people are just going back to their normal days after, so, like, for ex- even when Nipsey Hussle died, right? Like, just things like that. Like, there's um, you just go into work and people are just going about their days, and you have this thing in your in your mind about this person who was recently murdered or died, or, or this shock of like the different protests, or or just things like that that um, that carry with you when other people are just going about their normal days. So came you know started off with that uh, as a lead and then we moved on to you know the summer of the protests where uh, around that time one of the things that we wanted to make sure we did was um so google at a higher level at an institutional level was focusing on raising funds for uh for these really amazing black-led Nonprofit organizations. So I think the NAACP was in there, Equal Justice Initiatives, so Brian Stevenson's organization was also in there as well. And so they are focusing more on the long-term systemic work. Mm-hmm. And so what we figured what we can do from a grassroots level is support the people that were actually on the ground in the movement who were being affected, um, you know, just by protesting and peacefully protesting and existing. Um, and so what we did was we, create, we created a, um, a campaign, an internal campaign that would help with getting donations for these protesters and the people that were focusing on the movement on the ground. So it, it helped, you know, for, um, for different people who were being, uh, like, like, so like bailout funds, for example, it also helped with um, legal, uh, legal funds to help with these um, protesters as well. So we raised around like $375,000 or so just from that, it probably is a little bit more now, but just from that initiative, and we did it within maybe like a week and a half or so, we got funds accelerated, I think around 100,000 or so, that was accelerated just through a DJ event. So it was also a good way of just getting music and um, positive vibes to also help in increasing um, the funds. And the cool thing about it too, was that during that moment, it wasn't just a Black Googler-led um, fundraising effort. It was all these allies that were also coming in and chipping in funds to help with these specific movement-led organizations. Um, so I think that was just something pretty beautiful to see, like that that level of community where people could give funds, and it wasn't just on the. It wasn't like just wait on Black Googlers to to help our own people. Right. Um, It wasn't like this echo chamber, which was pretty pretty nice to see. But yeah,
1: that's a, that is awesome. That, that's great that that those amount of funds were raised and that everybody, like you said, like it was different organizations that came to come help and and, and and put into the fund as well too. So and yeah, for you know, and I and I hope for more of that to happen as well too. You know, yeah, years go on. So to kind of close it up um got two more questions for you
0: yeah
1: first question is what can you what it say? What, what, what are some things that people can do to get to where you are people that are listening right now someone that's in high school that admires you that's watching this how what do they need to do to get there what are the steps they have to take
2: yeah it's hard right because i feel like the my journey was not linear whatsoever. And I had this vision for myself for so much of my childhood of becoming a doctor and then sophomore year of college, that's when it just immediately changed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of the things that I lean into a lot more these days is that I should be putting myself around good people who are very much invested in my success. Mm -hmm. And so my managers, my leadership team currently are really invested in me doing well and uh in me growing and and continuing to be a leader in various different forms and so i think the good thing about that is that i trust that they have like if i may not see an opportunity they will bring it forward to me and they'll continue to help me in growing throughout my career especially at you know such a young age still. and so that's how i've kind of moved forward it's like just doing good work seeing the different opportunities that come from it and you know for the most part i haven't really been about like sharing what i do necessarily like i'm not a person who will just go for visibility just for visibility's sake like i will send out an email or i will send out a note highlighting something if it you know gets to another aim like if it gets to amplifying other people's stories or if it gets to getting people to be persuaded into doing something that I need or something like that. So visibility for visibility's sake is not something that I'm, that I'm interested in, but a lot of the work that I do is done really well. And I take pride in that. And so I think that is one big thing that has helped me in continuing to grow and get new opportunities and just move, move in that direction. Um, like I know that, like, I may not have the next step already lined out, but with the work that I'm doing, I know that I'm moving in a positive direction. So I, I would say that it's like, not you know, don't pressure yourself with having a plan all figured out. There's sometimes going to be, um, you know, different opportunities that pop up. But I would say just surround yourself with good people who are invested in in you, um, and then make sure that you know you are also invested in other good people yourself as well. So. True.
1: Yeah. Solid mentors, solid people that can that want to help uh bring you up. They always say what well, keep the five the five like four people you keep around you, eventually you either like be like them or be within the same space as them, or yeah, yeah. Su- succeeding yeah. or failing. So
2: yeah. I mean there's also like there's like this term of like having an advocate also. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, so a mentor is someone who can definitely take you through different phases of your life and, and kind of guide you in that. But an advocate is someone who like really advocates for you to get from like one position to the next. Um, sometimes people also call it, you know, a sponsor. Like a, I would see it as similar things, but an advocate is someone who can help in in moving you into that next level, whatever it may be. And what I, what I have for the most part are just really great advocates, people who've seen my work and are able to effectively communicate it to other people as I need. So, yeah.
1: That is awesome. And you, you talk about business, like, not as interested in that as much with the visibility aspect you were talking about. Um, yeah. I, the idea came to my mind was I don't know if you're on Clubhouse, um, oh, yeah. but like definitely an opportunity to like dive into a lot, a lot more about maybe some of the things that you've gone through or like you're talking about some of the organizations you're supporting um, or the initiatives that you, know, you guys are doing on there. And there's tons of uh, millionaires, billionaires giving free game on what they do and just hide, you know, just in rooms, just uh, listening and which you would have to pay like 50K to talk to them or just even have a conversation. So it's interesting. So it might be a cool, this idea came to run, might be a cool platform to kind of say, you know, be outspoken and talk about what you want to talk about and have a lot of people come in support.
2: Yeah, that is, that's a good, uh, I always, I'm just like so curious, like if people are interested in like, what I have to say, and for the most part, like I mean, I know that a lot of like younger people are, uh, but I think it's a, I think it'd be a really cool opportunity actually to to just try out. I am not on Clubhouse yet, but I see it like literally all the time being talked about by absolutely everyone, <laughs> and yeah. so maybe that's just another platform that I could just start tapping into.
1: <laughs> no, definitely, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. you ever get on there, and you know, I have a, it's a couple of people that I already like invite me to a lot of different rooms to like talking. Man, I don't yeah. know, you can do like a talk or something specifically for a specific organization or talk about a specific topic um, on 4k yeah. especially what happened was it uh, it's been two days now with uh oh my goodness. that is crazy yeah you had a whole room about that it was like two pe- two thousand people in there talking about this yeah <laughs> so um yeah but uh last question would be what is a quote you could leave um whoever's listening with and quote they could take home for the rest of their lives
2: uh, that's a good question. So one of my favorite quotes is by James Baldwin. And I can't remember it, you know, exactly. But essentially, the like what it's saying, the, the quote mentioned was uh, like the paradox of a good education is, you know, once you become educated, you become more critical of the society that you are educated within. And I thought that was such a beautiful quote and it's something that still sticks with me to this day because it's, um, you know, a lot of the things that I grew up with, you know, being of a lower socioeconomic status, being a feminist very much like when I was, when I was younger, but just not really having, you know, the language to say it, like all these things were, um, like I felt, but I never, but I never could really describe what my, um, what my experiences were because I just didn't have the language or the vocabulary for it. Once I got into college, I um, it was a you know erratically different type of education, and then it was also better quality education than what I've experienced in the past. But the like just learning more things, like you know reading more books, having some really amazing uh, black women professors. Uh, having some really amazing white men professors, like all these like really amazing people have helped in shaping so much of what I learned today and and my constant, um, my constant, like, you know, wanting to continuously learn. So I think that's a, it's a really powerful quote because I just think about, you know, the people who just may not have the vocabulary to explain like the situations that they're in, but these in some ways, like, um you know like these people who've like gone to schools who are privileged in some sort of way were able to learn a little bit more and, and kind of understand like the different situations that other people are, in who, are don't, who don't necessarily have an education so yeah it's just a it's a beautiful quote by by james baldwin who also happens to be one of my favorite scholars so yeah thank you
1: for sharing that you know it resonates and takes that home that's a take home you know she's dropping gems yeah she's dropping gems <laughs> um and i guess last thing because you talked about books um two two of your favorite two books that we should be reading this year
2: yeah so the first two that popped into my head are uh, now there's three um okay so there's one that's um it was one that forever changed my way of thinking and I absolutely love it. It's called, uh, so it's by Anand, A-N-A-N-D. Um, I, am going to butcher his last name, so I won't say it, but, uh, it's called the, um, I think it's like the elite charade of changing the world. I think it's Winner's Takes All. Yeah. Winner Takes All the Elite Charade of Changing the World. And basically it's a really good book about how these really powerful people and these really powerful companies will try and, um, you know put guardrails around like what social justice actually means so like one of the things that he really mentions there is that you know all these like really big uh you know billionaires have they're trying to take the lead in shaping what social justice movements almost look like or like they'll they'll take on like racial justice for example and um what they don't or even like socioeconomic justice and what they don't realize is that, or they may, but they just want to have control over like what that narrative looks like. And so, you know, to really have justice, it means that, at least for from a class perspective, you these billionaires need to, you know, take some of their money and give it to other people. But by safe, like by putting guardrails around the narrative, it's not really allowing that um, justice actually take place. Right. So he's a really, really good author. Um, He also talks about, you know, how we don't really have many critics in today's society. We have a lot of thought leaders, but not many critics. Um, So people, you know, will take on like TED Talks and such and they um, they, there's not really an opportunity to engage in criticism or just ask questions. It's really just, you know, you'll go on stage, you'll talk about a certain topic and then you're just out versus critics who have a much more um, engaged discussion between two people. And um, it's a little bit different from cancel culture, I'd say. Um, So really good book. That one's a really great one. The second one that I was thinking of is called um, it's called, I think, The Broken Ladder. Um, and it's something, I forgot what the guy's name is, but it's something to do with like inequality as well. But it's really interesting because he talks a lot about how inequality is the root cause of a lot of different things. So like if you if you think about like poverty, for example, it's not necessarily, there are countries that are suffering from poverty for sure, but what's causing a lot more concern is just the inequality that comes from poverty. So like if you, um, are not looking property, poverty, but just inequality in general. So if you think about, you know, people who are of like lower income statuses, um, they will feel that they aren't making the same amount of money as like these like billionaires because like the inequality gap is just so significant. Right. Um, and so like, I mean, even, even if you think of just like people who are um, upper middle class, like they will also feel that they are not making sufficient amounts of money as again like these billionaires because the gap again is is there and it exists so it's just a really interesting way of thinking about you know like how people's minds work when it comes to inequality and you and you see the effects especially when it comes to stress when it comes to pregnancy levels when it comes to people who are very much more devoted into religion and such too so that one's a really good one and then i think the last one that i would say is probably education of an idealist by Samantha Power, who used to be the um, U.S. Uh, ambassador under President Obama. And she just has a really amazing story. I, it's probably one of my favorite books of 2020. And it's it's very long, I will say that, but it's a really good book that just talks about her humanitarian efforts and her going around the world and the things that she's pressured and pushed uh, Barack Obama to do, um, even in things like naming a... Um, you know, naming something a genocide like that—that that takes a lot of work, and so for for her to be explaining her story, I think was just absolutely beautiful. So those are three. I know it's more than two, but yeah. well
1: oh, no, good. It's, it's good. We need some books to read this year. Cause like, my <laughs> year like it's like two to two to three books a month is my yeah. goal, and it's been like kind yeah. of crushing them out each month. And then if I can't, you know, you can get busy sometimes. And you're like, dang, like I'm tired, or you want. to uh, aud- audible.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to get into that. I feel like it could actually be really cool just to hear it from the author, especially when it comes from the author themselves. You know? Right. Um, that is true.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like Hearing like the generic person reader. Yeah. Hearing from that. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you want to like shout out your social medias or anything like that, or where people could find you at, if they want to connect with you, if you want them to um, um, give you the floor to do that.
2: Yeah, so uh, Twitter and Instagram, it's B as in boy, S-E-R-A-T-G, so that's right, G, and um, I don't know, I mean, like, for the most part, you know, I'm always on social media, so I'm just looking at the news and seeing what people um, have to say, the commentary, especially on Black Twitter, so feel free to just send a message or connect if if you're ever interested. I'm happy to help
1: awesome thank you so much for being on the show today uh of course on and hopefully we can get you back on like in the end of season three or season four but no it's great having you on and hopefully uh check out clubhouse <laughs> i
2: know yeah, yeah, yeah that's 2021
1: 2021, 2021. Yeah. right right awesome stuff. So thank you so much thank
0: you <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Life Journey Podcast with Quentin Gauz. To find out more and to follow the journey, visit Quentin's Instagram at QGauze or our business page at iron underscore visuals. For full recaps of this show, find us on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Thank you for tuning in.